0: Hello, this is Russell Moore, you're listening to my podcast, and this is a Cross and the Jukebox episode. We examine uh, music and culture and religion and roots through the grid of country music and some other forms of musical expression from time to time as well. I'm reading uh, right now uh, Stephen King's new uh, set of uh, novellas uh, called uh, If It Bleeds, And the first story, the first uh, novella in that is called Mr. Harrigan's Phone. And it's about this uh, kid who uh, starts working in the afternoon for an elderly man, and he's helping him to uh, maintain his, his plants in his house and taking him to church and so forth. And there's a line early on in the novella that talks about him at church, and it says this quote, Back then he only used one cane which he leaned on when he rose to sing hymns that I suppose I'll remember until the day I die. And that verse of the old rugged cross about water and blood flowing from Jesus's wounded side will always give me chills, just like the last verse of Stand By Your Man when Tammy Wynette goes all out. Now, I laughed, I chuckled when I read that because I thought, yeah, I mean, there's such a distinctive uh, voice That Tammy Wynette has, and there's such pathos in the way that she sings that song. So I thought that this was just illustrative of uh, of the emotional power of some of those hymns. What I didn't know is that Tammy Wynette is going to end up being a key character in this uh, story. So spoiler alert, if you're planning to read the story, I'm not going to give you all of the spoilers, but there are going to be some things that might spoil the story for you if you plan to read it later. Here's the gist of the, of the story is that this kid had uh, uh, the, the elderly man would buy him lottery tickets for his birthday and things like that. And he ended up uh, winning a little bit uh, off of one. And he ended up uh, buying the old man an iPhone, which the old man didn't think he would want, but then ended up using. And he really liked country music. So he would watch a bunch of George Jones YouTube videos and, and that sort of thing. But his ringtone was Tammy Wynette singing Stand By Your Man. And so when this old man died, uh, the kid goes, he's got a lot of gratitude uh, for the old man. The old man left him a lot of money to go to college with. And so he went up to the casket and put the old man's iPhone in his pocket. Uh, and he's buried with this iPhone in his pocket. And he says this, uh, Stephen King writes this, quote, it was a creepy thing to do, especially, um, he goes back, you know, and and, and later he calls the number. So this, that's what you need to know. He calls that number because he wants to hear the um, the voicemail voice and to sort of connect with him. But he says this, quote, it was a creepy thing to do, especially at two in the morning, and it was morbid. I knew that. But I also knew that if I did it, I could get back to sleep. So I called and I broke out in goose flesh when I realized the simple truth of cell phone technology. Somewhere under the ground in Elm Cemetery, in a dead man's pocket, Tammy Wynette was singing two lines of Stand By Your Man. Later in the story, he goes to the graveyard, and Stephen King writes this, quote: I went to my contacts and called him. Then I lowered my phone, and I put the side of my face down on the newly replaced sod, listening for Tammy Wynette. I thought I heard her, too, but it must have been my imagination. It would have had to have been, uh, it would have had to have come up through his coat, through the lid of the coffin and up through six feet of ground. But I thought I did. No, check that. I was sure I did. Mr. Harrigan's bone singing, stand by your man down there in his grave. Now, I think that the reason that this works. You know, Stephen King knows <laughs> how to get the reactions that he's looking for in terms of the way that he uses words. And I think that, I don't think that just any song or artist would have worked for this story to give the same kind of a creepy vibe. I, I don't, I just don't think that. Kitty Wells, It Wasn't God Who Made Honky Tonk Angels would work uh, as as well. I don't even think, despite the midnight uh, language, I don't think that Patsy Cline uh, walking after midnight or crazy uh, would work. I think Tammy Wynette, Stand By Your Man, works here because of the emotion uh, behind the song, but also because it's it's a sad song with what at first glance appears to be happy lyrics. So the the song is about standing by your man, about about love that is lasting. But if you actually pay attention to what she's saying, it's not a happy song. And I, I think that's Intentional. So uh, Ken Burns and Dayton Duncan in uh, their country music uh, documentary and book, which I have an interview with them on Signposts. Check that out and, and listen to it because we talk about the whole range of things. But uh, they have a quote in that documentary that's one of my favorites by Jeannie Seeley uh, talking about Tammy Wynette and Loretta Lynn. And she says this, quote, one amusing thing to me about Tammy and Loretta, she said is that Tammy's songs were always about standing by your man and treating your man right, being there for him, and yet she divorced several times. Loretta was always threatening in her songs, don't come home a-drinking, don't do this or I'll do that, and she always stayed with her man. So I kind of thought they almost wrote each other's songs. And, you know, as I had never ever thought about it until that was on the documentary, and I thought, you know, that's exactly right. But the Tammy Wynette song, Stand By Your Man, that we're going to talk about today has taken on a life of its own. Now, Tammy Wynette, one of the most gifted singers of the 20th century. She uh, grew up very poor in my home state of Mississippi, and she wrote uh, songs that uh, all for the most part, tended to have this sad uh, edge to them. So if you think of uh, Apartment number 9 or uh, the song that she does, D-I-V-O-R-C-E, which maybe we'll talk about uh, sometime on the crust and Jukebox, uh, which is, if you've never heard this, it's about the way that you spell out words in front of a, a small child that you don't want the child to hear. And so instead of talking about... Uh, birthday presents or Christmas uh, presents that you don't want the kid to know about. She's spelling out D-I-V-O-R-C-E. My D-I-V-O-R-C-E became final today. Um, And so it, it really looks at the wreckage and the pain that comes with the breakup of a relationship but none of the songs that she did ever had the sort of cultural resonance outside of her fan base and, and ongoingly through the years the way that stand by your man has so the, the lyrics this is written by Billy Sherrill and Tammy Wynette and the lyrics go this this way sometimes it's hard to be a woman giving all your love to just one man you'll have bad times and he'll have good times doing things that you don't understand but if you love him you'll forgive him even though he's hard to understand and if you love him oh be proud of him cuz after all he's just a man stand by your man give him two arms to cling to and something warm to come to when nights are cold and lonely stand by your man and show the world you love him keep giving all the love you can stand by your man that line keep giving all the love you can also shows up in that Stephen King story which I won't uh, I won't spoil that for you Uh, but it it shows up later on this song stand Stand by your man uh, I think sometimes it's it's out in the cultural lingo even in, in ways where people don't understand that it comes from a song I, I've I've heard people say, you know, I've just got to got to stand by my man, and they don't even know that this is uh that this is from a song, uh, and so it's it's shown up in things like in 1992, uh, Bill Clinton was in the middle of uh, he was running for president at that time in the uh, Democratic primaries, uh, and had a, a scandal break about uh jennifer flowers who was a a lounge singer in little rock who claimed that she had had a 12 year affair with him and this was in the tabloids and um journalists were were covering it and his campaign was in was in trouble i mean it it was in and and now i don't think people get just how much trouble it would have seemed to have been uh at the time because We're sort of accustomed now to people not caring at all about what sort of character or lives their political leaders have. But at the time, this was, of course, just four years after Gary Hart, who had been running for president, was uh, essentially disqualified from the race uh, for having an affair. And so Bill Clinton and his wife, Hillary, uh, went on 60 Minutes uh, to, to sort of uh, explain what had taken place. And at one point, uh, Steve Croft, the journalist, says, you know, I get that you all have this sort of arrangement. He, he uses that language, and both of them flashed with anger. And Hillary Clinton says at one point, you know, I'm not just some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette. I was watching this live at the time. And I remember I was um, really young, but really politically interested. And when she said, I'm not some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette, and she did it with this sort of fake Southern accent at the time. So it sounded, I I remember wincing because I thought, I didn't think about Tammy Wynette. I just thought that just sounds so condescending. You know, whether she intended it or not. I'm not saying she intended it that way, but it it sounded that way. Well, Tammy Wynette certainly took it personally. Uh, and so in the press, uh, there was this back and forth with Tammy Wynette. And, and in uh, one of the best biographies of Tammy Wynette that I'll refer to later on, it talks about how uh, Hillary Clinton tried to call her and apologize. Tammy Wynette wouldn't take the call, and it took the actor Burt Reynolds getting involved to sort of get them together and get this uh, resolved. So Stand By Your Band, I mean, it's, it's in the middle of uh, the election of a president of the United States. It's also, it's been uh, listed as one of the 100 best uh, country music songs by Billboard and various other. Uh, places, but you have to remember when this song is coming along you You have a women 's movement that is emerging in the country, and there 's not a lot of certainty as to which direction that uh, feminist movement is going to go because there 's a, a strain of it that 's in continuity with the suffragettes and and others. Uh, in American life that's saying, we need to have equality. We need to have uh, fairness. Uh, They're not trying to destroy marriage or male-female relationships or those distinctions. It's not what they're about. They're just saying, let's treat women like human beings. And then there's another strain of it that was more radical that would uh, say things along the lines of um, a woman needs a man, like a fish needs a bicycle or the sort of quips that uh, say share the uh, singer would make when asked, do you believe in the institution of marriage? And she would say, yeah, but who wants to live in an institution? I mean, there, there was, there was a little bit of ambiguity as to which direction that was going to go. So in the middle of that, here comes stand by your man. And, Tammy Wynette's biographer, in uh, writing about this, says that—and I'll link to this uh, biography, Tammy Wynette, uh, Country Queen—he says that a lot of this has to do with her Mississippi Baptist upbringing— And so uh, he quotes this, quote, and the Baptist creed that a wife is to submit herself to the servant leadership of her husband was not one that Wynette quarreled with, at least on the surface. I was taught the old true South, she said. Daddy made all the decisions. A man's word was law. And that's what bothers me so much when people make fun of stand by your man. That's all I knew. Now there's a lot in there. Um, uh, First of all, there's the assumption that that's what the Baptist creed is, is that uh, the man makes all the decisions and his word is law. But there's also this sense of, that's what bothers me when people make fun of stand by your man. They're, they're, the implication here is they're making fun of her and they're making fun of her background. That's what what makes her angry. So I think mean, you almost hear, intimations here of sort of the the controversy that erupted when Hillary Clinton later on, much, much later on in 2016, talked about the basket of deplorables. If you just listen to that in context, you can get what it is she was trying to say. What she was trying to say is, I'm not putting everybody uh, that's that's part of this this other movement uh, into a, I'm not writing them off. There's an entire group of them that can be persuaded to come along with us, but the way she worded it sounded like she was saying there's a group of people that are so irredeemable that they're just they're just worth writing off. And a lot of people took that as you're looking down on me, you're condescending to me. Tammy Wynette had that reaction to uh, what it is that uh, the, the sort of making fun of "Stand by Your Man." So Billy Cheryl wrote most of, from everything we can see, most of this song, and based it off of Benny King's song, Stand By Me. Now, one of the things that I found really uh, fascinating, and I kind of laughed out loud as I was rereading the other day, preparing for this, uh, this biography uh, by uh, Jimmy McDonough, Tammy Wynette, Tragic Country Queen, uh, talking about Billy Sherrill, it says that Sherrill, quote, did not attend church because he could not find one that teaches a literal enough interpretation of the scriptures. And I I laughed because you disobey a biblical command. The Bible commands you to do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together because you can't find a church that's literal enough for you. So you disobey the literal command of Scripture because a church isn't literal enough. That might be really similar to the view of marriage that you see showing up in Stand By Your Man and some of these songs. Uh, So this biographer, uh, Jimmy McDonough, uh, talks about when Wynette is listening to the lyrics are being given to her by Billy Sherrill, and she says that, that he asked her, do you like this? Do you like Stand By Your Man? And she said, quote, yeah, I do. With the old-fashioned Southern Baptist upbringing that I've got, I like that idea. So she uh, thought that the lyrics of this song lined up with that, that Southern Baptist uh, understanding of men and women and of marriage. And we'll get to later on whether it does, but that's that was her understanding. Now, this caused, remember Tammy Wynette's in a relationship at this time with George Jones. And one of the things that um, will forever be the case that despite their divorces and uh, their divorce from each other and so forth, Tammy Wynette and George Jones are always linked together in the public mind. As we talked about, we talked about He Stopped Loving Her Today. When people hear that song, they think of Tammy Wynette. Uh, Even though he didn't write the song, uh, it's not really about her, but it feels like it's about her because it's coming from him. There's a little diner uh, that I uh, stop into that I really like in Oxford, Mississippi, when I go through Oxford, that's got a painting on the wall, George Jones and Tammy Wynette uh, up there, just like they're they're frozen together in this artistic uh, rendering. So they're, they're thought of together and they were together at the time. And according to McDonough, this caused some tension in the relationship. Um, the song did. And George Jones didn't like it. And he said that the song sounded didn't sound country enough. It sounded too pop to, to him. And he just didn't like it. But Tammy thought that this was more about professional jealousy. It wasn't that he thought the song was not good enough. It's that he thought the song was too good. And he would know. I mean, he knew how to recognize a hit. Uh, And so there was a sense of maybe she was starting to outshine him. But McDonough, when he's talking about this in the biography, he he sort of veers off from the history of it to, to say the moral center of this song is to him unclear. He's not sure what the actual claim in the song is. Is it that men are dogs? And uh, he says that in his view, the success of the song is due to its vagueness. Now, that's not typically the case. Typically, in terms of storytelling, whether that's lyrical or whether that's uh, in novel writing or, or in any other way, particularity is the way that you get to the universality. Um, so think of, uh, for instance, um, me and Bobby McGee from Baton Rouge, you know, the windshield wiper slapping. I mean, that, that particularity uh, helps you to get a feel that, that can connect to the, person, to, the, to the universal. But in this case, he says he thinks the vagueness was good because it allowed the listener to complete the meaning. Shake your head in disgust or raise our fist in support. It 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 was sort of open. Now, what I do not think this song is about is fidelity. And there are a lot of people who, again, if they're just using the shorthand "stand by your man," what they mean is fidelity. What they mean is don't don't walk out on uh, one another when times are hard. And that's of course a good message and a. Uh, biblical message and and just a, a good uh, human flourishing uh, message. Don't don't give up on each other in hard times. So uh, I think all of the time about uh, Charlie Pride's wife, uh, who uh, I quote it all the time when she was asked uh, what to what do you attribute uh, your your long marriage. And she said, "I attribute it to the fact that so far neither of us have died." I mean, that's just a great line because she she challenges the assumptions there that divorce is on the table, and says, "No, we're we're till death do you part, and we're both still alive, so we're both still married." Um, that's th- that that's the the commitment to fidelity. I don't think that that's what this song is about. Uh, I think that fidelity is something that this song evades. And the reason for that is there's a fantastic essay by Wendell Berry called Standing By Words, where he talks about the difference between projection and promise. And he says this quote, I come to the difference between projecting the future and making a promise. The projecting of futurologists uses the future, as the safest possible context for what is what, whatever is desired. It binds one only to selfish interest, but making a promise binds one to someone else's future. If the promise is serious enough, one is brought to it by love and in awe and fear. Fear, awe, and love bind us to no selfish aims, but to each other. And they enforce a speech more exact, more clarifying, and more binding than any speech that can be used to sell or to advocate some future. For when we promise in love and awe and fear, there is a certain kind of mobility that we give up we give up the romanticism of progress that is always shifting its terms to fit its occasions. We are speaking where we stand, and we shall stand afterwards in the presence of what we have said. And he he talks about later in that same collection of essays that what's necessary is fidelity, standing by one's words, and sincerity, words that can be stood by. Now, this sense of fidelity of uh, not just saying, I think things are going to work out okay with you, therefore I'm going to commit myself to you, but I'm going to give myself to you in the uncertainty of what the future looks like. I'm going to risk my life, uh, not, not risk my life literally, but I'm going to risk my future uh, and my future expectations in terms of, of belonging to you. That's an aspect of fidelity that's that's one of the reasons why when I'm officiating at weddings, I don't allow couples to write their own vows um, There are a lot of reasons for that, but one of those reasons is to say you don't know what it is that you're you're vowing and what you're committing to that takes uh the community to know that because uh you don't know what's ahead of you in terms of are you going to be asked to be with one another in a chemo ward or at your child's grave or um in an alzheimer's uh, clinic. I mean there there's there's none of these things are open to you at this point you don't know what they are. You just are committing yourself to whatever future is in front of you. Now, what I see going on in stand by your man is not that. It's not fidelity. It's instead fatalism. And it's an understanding of human nature that is inordinately dark now that's going to surprise you because you will say, well i mean you you believe in human sin and you believe in original sin and um and that's that's true, but stand by your man has this almost animalistic view of men and a fatalistic view of women. And I think that what that leads to is to suffering, this understanding that men cannot be counted on to crucify their selfish desires. Just bear with him. After all, he's just a man. And women are called upon to simply bear whatever it is that is given to her by a man. That is not the created picture of men and women. That's not the biblical picture of men and women. As a matter of fact, when the apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, how a man's body belongs to his wife, I mean, that, that is a striking thing to say in the first century world of the Roman Empire, where nobody would have had that understanding. Uh, you, You had culturally this understanding of male supremacy and female inferiority. Paul comes in and says that there are obligations that husbands and wives have to each other. The one is not property of the other. They have obligations to each other and that they have an accountability To each other. So when you when you come back to Billy Sherrill taking the Bible so literally that he would disobey the Bible (laughs) in order to find it, uh, again I see some resonance here because I'm a complementarian in the sense that I think that the Scripture teaches that there is a, a central part of our lives that is just humanity generically humanity, what it means to be a person. There's a lot that men and women share in common that are not unique to being men or women, and just being human. And then there are aspects of our lives that are distinctive to being men and being women, which means that there's uh, a big part of our lives, of our vocation, our calling, that's the same. You are, uh, Adam and Eve are both called to, Uh, Cultivate the ground and to exercise dominion uh, over the the creation. And uh, the scripture talks about being joint heirs with one another. Uh, Apostle Peter will talk about to husbands, your wife is a fellow heir with you of the grace of life. You you have a common inheritance. Galatians chapter three. And then there are aspects of our calling that are distinct. There's there's a difference between fathers and mothers. Within the home, there's a difference between fathers and mothers within uh, the church, the spiritual uh, fathering and mothering within the church. But just as you can be disobedient to this by trying to flatten all of that out, you can also become disobedient by that, by becoming hyper-complementarian and by exaggerating those differences uh, to the point that you sacrifice that common humanity. And I mean, one of the things I've found is that often some of the people uh, just as, I mean, it's it's kind of weird how you can see this in, in both directions. Some of the most obnoxiously feminist people that I've known, have had marriages that are almost, you know, Edith and Archie Bunker from the old uh, All in the Family reruns, not in theory, but in the way that they, they practice them. And some of these, you know, a lot of these hyper-complementarian people uh, for whom everything is about male headship often have the least complementarian marriages that you can possibly imagine. Uh, So what scripture I think is calling us to is a complementarianism that is not built off of power dynamics, who's over whom, but instead is about the honoring of one another, fidelity to one another in our sameness and in our distinctness and that means protection. And by protection, when we're talking about this sort of distinctive aspect of a man's calling to be protective, this is not primarily about fighting off bears. You know, this is primarily about getting under control a a man's own appetites and desires in a way that is self-controlled. So this imagery that's here of men in Stand by Your Man is not an accurate image. It is in terms of the way uh, the way often uh, things are practiced, but. This sort, of, uh, this sort of language, you know, he's going to have good times doing things you don't understand. You just have to understand what it is to be a man. He's just a man. I mean, that's what George W. Bush used to talk about as the soft bigotry of low expectations. When you have this understanding that, well, to be a man means a lack of control over one's impulses is to create a category of maleness that is animalistic, not human. Men and women are both to be governed by a heart and a will and a reason that is captive to the Holy Spirit, an imagination is captive to the Holy Spirit. And so one cannot say, well, I'm not accountable for my sin, including my sins against fidelity in a marriage, because I am a woman or because I am a man. So this sort of language is similar to the the sort of... Um, The sort of uh, language that will sometimes come up where people will say, oh, uh, women are so emotional, they can't uh, control. That's just not true. And if you have this understanding of women, then what you're going to end up doing is having a low expectation of what it is that women can do, which is only going to hurt you, hurt all of us, because you're going to lose the contributions that women can make. And the same thing is true here with men. So there's this sense of this is just the way men are going to be. Uh, And I'm not saying at all that there's anything insincere in the way that Tammy Wynette is reading this, whether the reason that she resonates with this song, it's probably because it certainly seems true to her experience. But her experience uh, was not the ideal. Her experience was part of her suffering. And I I think that she, uh, what often happens when people have suffered greatly is that they start to believe that that suffering is just normal and that suffering is the way it's always going to be. And so there's this kind of stoic uh, acceptance of the suffering in a way that's not legitimate. She should expect more of a man. And there's also the sense that because this is what men do, there can't be any accountability. I mean, that's, if you come back to the difference between Tammy Wynette and Loretta Lynn, Loretta Lynn, she has a very bleak view of the way that men often act also, but she speaks to that man as somebody who is accountable. Don't come home drinking with loving on your mind. You know, that that, that language here, she's saying you have an accountability because you have a choice here in terms of the way that you're going to act, but also because there's a view of uh, permanence, and those of you who have been with me for a while know I believe in marital permanence, that marriage is a one-flesh union, and as Jesus says, uh, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So you would think that I would like, and I do like this song, but uh, you think I would approve of a song that is uh, pointing toward that marital permanence, but that's not what's here. It's not covenant faithfulness and covenant permanence. Instead, it's again, fatalism. You're you're just going to be in this situation. The the implication is you're going to be in this situation no matter what man you're with, No matter what marriage you're in, this is always going to be the case, so just learn to live with it. And I don't think that's biblically legitimate. As a matter of fact, Christians can disagree about um, what are uh, the... uh, Almost every Christian would agree. There are some cases where uh, leaving a marriage is called for There are uh, some cases where divorce is morally legitimate. Almost all Christians would agree to that. Uh, We would have some disagreements as to in what cases would remarriage be allowable after that. I think that the Scripture teaches, Jesus teaches that adultery, and by that I mean unrepentant adultery, can dissolve a marital covenant. And that person would then be free, not only to divorce the the innocent party, but to remarry. That marriage is over. Or as the Apostle Paul says uh, about uh, an unbelieving spouse who leaves, and by unbelieving, I'm not meaning that you have to read the content of the heart, but uh, the way that Paul talks about church discipline, you treat this person as an unbeliever if they're acting in that way, ultimately um if there's abandonment and i would uh, i would include abuse as being abandonment because um just as somebody could leave a home somebody could make a home unsafe for somebody to be in that's abandonment i think that that's a legitimate reason for uh divorce and for remarriage later to someone else now again everybody doesn't agree with me on this this is this is what i think that the scripture teaches I think what is really clear is the Bible never calls on you to stay in an abusive relationship. Never, don't listen to anybody who will say to you and and there will be people who will say this. Well, if you stay in an abusive uh, relationship, that's uh, your faithfulness uh, to the marriage covenant and to Christ, false. Or they'll say... Well, if you stay in this, you can bring about change in the life of this person. False. It's not how change uh, takes place. It's something that is evil, and it's something that uh, that that is is harmful, not just to you, but often to other people as well. So, I don't think that what Tammy Wynette is talking about here is fidelity and bearing with one another as we're we're called to do. I think. It's instead, again, this low, low view of what one is worthy of expecting from someone else. I mean, come back to Hillary Clinton. I was listening to Mandy, Mandy Grunwald, who's a political consultant, polling uh, consultant. She worked for both Bill and Hillary Clinton. And she was talking in an interview somewhere, I don't even remember where, about being with a, um, a focus group. Uh, of women talking about Hillary Clinton when she was running for president, uh, I think the first time in 2008. And she said what she noticed was that the problem that the women had was the fact that she stayed with her husband through the Monica Lewinsky uh, uh, scandal. And they said they didn't think she should have stayed with her. And uh, Mandy Grunwald said, well, how many of you have ever had a man cheat on you? And said, so almost every woman in the room raised her hand and said, I have, my husband cheated on me. And she said, how many of you are still with him? And they all were. So there was this inconsistency that was, that, that was there. And the implication was they almost resented their own situation and they wanted somebody to sort of vicariously leave For them, In the same way that uh, a lot of times there are people who they're in a job that they don't like, but boy, they love to listen to Johnny Paychecks take this job and shove it because it can give them this fantasy of what it would be like to get up and say, I'm not taking this anymore and to walk out and slam the door. There's something cathartic and maybe even fun about that uh that's what they were looking for because underneath all of that what she was finding is a lot of hurt uh that was there. I think that's probably why this stand by your man song resonates with so many people. And it's also the reason why uh as I, I in officiating a wedding one time had a bride ask to have Stand by Your Man sung as she's going down the aisle. And I said, no, <laughs> no, you're not going to do that. Not only because that's not an appropriate song for a worship setting, but also because uh, if that's your view of marriage, and if that's your expectation of of the life that you're going to live and that you're, you're going to expect of your husband, then you don't understand what fidelity is. Actually, is and what covenant actually is, and what one flesh union actually is. Tammy Wynette is uh, is singing here something that is not a protest against the independence of radical feminism. It's not a protest against the divorce culture or the free love culture of the '60s. It's instead this sort of hyper submission and very fatalistic view of, of the male character that she thinks is coming out of the Bible because of the way it was interpreted to her. But the Bible has a far higher view of marriage and a far higher sort of accountability for human beings in their responsibilities, including to each other in marriage. And that requires a trust, uh, a forsaking of all others to cleave to you and to you only. This is why Genesis 2, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is, this is the picture, not the picture of a woman who is suffering silently because her man uh, cannot do anything other than to pursue Wherever his hormones point, that's that's not a biblical view of of marriage, and that's why I think if you go back to Stephen King and the gooseblesh that he he feels with those two songs, the old rugged cross is a better picture of marriage than stand by your man. It's a better picture of marriage because you have a fidelity that is rooted there not in well what can you do but in a groom Ephesians 5 lord jesus who is faithful who is trustworthy who loves his bride more than he is protecting of his own flesh and you know you're never going to find jesus in a spouse but you can expect to find someone who will follow jesus in terms of treating you with respect treating you with uh, honor somebody that's a sinner but can be trusted who has character You you can expect that that won't make the country music charts but that's a glorious mystery that's actually better than whatever will get you to the White House or to the Grand Ole Opry. It's something beyond what words can expect. It's a Christ who stands by his bride. Thanks for listening to the in the Jukebox. If you haven't yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Pocket Casts or wherever you listen. And if you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe the cover art and you'll find the show notes, including some details that you might've missed. Let me know in the comments or by email uh, what song or songs or themes that you would like for us to discuss here. And if you have a question about a moral decision that you might be facing that you'd like some advice or or counsel on, send me an email about that at rdmquestions at gmail.com, and I'll do my best to answer it. Until next time, onward, this is Russell Moore. This episode was brought to you in part